Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what is up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Hello. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Tis true. And my dear brother Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Good morning. Hello. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. So, Dar, we had some feedback on TikTok. Uh, I posted a clip from one of our previous episodes when we were talking about the orc origins you said that there were no sort of proto orcs and uh, a couple of people said mentioned about crorks yes the crork k-r-o-r-k oh it's one of the what's what's that called palindrome a palindrome shit the bed race car right? <laughs> yes mm. race car yeah sweet Okay, um, so yeah, we, are we fact-checking this? Are you wrong, basically? That's what we want to know. Are you <laughs> wrong? Have you bucked up? Uh, what's the polite way of saying this? <laughs> yeah, they're slightly wrong because Crocs are 40k. Their kind of design and evolution was in 40k, not in Warhammer Fantasy. So it's the difference between uh... orcs that end with a C and orcs that end with a K. Right. So K being 40K, fantasy being regular Cs. And Age of Sigmar, right? Age of Sigmar is ORK, right? No. Age of Sigmar is (laughs) ORK. Oh, I see. I thought that was right. Okay. Fuck, I was wrong, not you. But that's, uh, I mean, I'm glad I'm sitting down because you're almost never wrong. (laughs) You're a total bastard, you know that? Rarely right, but never in doubt. That's our Ben. If you- I've I've always hated you. I'm convinced I'm adopted. What why why so many different spellings of orc? They're the same greenskins, right? Underneath. Uh largely, yes. I think it just comes from the natural kind of design over the thirty some years and change that Warhammer's been going. So it originally started orcs were just from the Tolkien kind of idea. They were tortured elves and the original orcs were a lot more spindly than the kind of football hooligan orcs that you see in fantasy now. When they went to bring them into 40k, they needed to kind of differentiate them. They were originally, very originally, space orcs, spelt the same Mm. as the fantasy, in the same way that the Eldar were originally space elves. So they had to differentiate them, so they just changed the the C to a K. But both of those are relatively generic terms, which are not... Probably you can't really do a strong trademark on them, which Games Workshop is all about, because they love protecting their IP to the expense of all things, including their own profit margin. Uh, So (laughs) when they blew up the old world and went into the Age of Sigmar, they had to create... Well, they didn't have to. What they did was they created trademarkable names for all the races that they wanted to include. So all the races that appear in Tolkien appear in, pretty much appear in Age of Sigmar, but all the names are slightly changed. It's like spelling spelling witch, W, well, this is a 40K thing, spelling witch, W-Y-C-H, that kind of idea. Witch. If your only exposure is 40K and you hear orcs, you don't know if it's 40k orcs or fantasy orcs. So an understandable mistake to make. 
And I would also add to that, even more understandable when you take into account the fact that the video that we posted was just the clip that we were talking about with no reference to the fact that it was Warhammer Fantasy specifically. You would have to know that this is a Warhammer Fantasy podcast in order to know that that's what we were talking about. So in their defense, out of context, I can totally Are you understand. telling me there's people that don't listen to our podcast? Kral is a crazy, crazy concept, right? I, right. Oh my goodness. That's just wacky. All right. Okay. Well, their loss. Anyway. Do you remember when we set up this podcast, we said that we were going to try and be humble? I I feel like we're veering away from that wildly. So, Kral, what happened last month? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, last month. Give us give us one of your wacky recaps. So last month, it was all about the will and the wars of the green skin, the green skins. <laughs> Fucking hell. <clears throat> You're right, Kral. No. How orcs were affected by external forces. We looked at one of the biggest and certainly one of the most devastating wars in Warhammer fantasy history, which swept through pretty much the whole of the old world and the empire. And Ben, which legendary goblin was it? Was it led by, please? Oh, Chris! I'll give you a clue. He he ate. Oh, Grom the Punch. Grom the Punch. Yes! The legend, the man, the myth. Sorry, the goblin, the myth. Um, he was pretty much like Sigmar, like wasn't he, in terms of green skin lore. So that ambitious goblin, he uh, swept through the the old world, the empire, conquering and defeating many human and dwarves and even greenskin settlements as well. And all the while absorbing more and more greenskin tribes and clans, getting bigger and bigger and bigger until his war was several million or something ridiculous. My notes are all over the place here. He basically ravaged the old world for shits and giggles. And then the sailed away. His, uh, his shaman, old Blacktooth, started receiving visions. I'm saying this so that you repeat it, Chris. Uh, and okay. sailed to Ulthuan, where he laid siege to the province of Iris, Irvis, Ivris, Barry, 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 the land of the unpronounced, <laughs> the land of the unpronounced, the land of Barry. Uh, Are you taking notes on this, Chris? Because you now have to say this. I know, I know. Killed the prince, strapped him to the front of his chariot, and then the prince's son... Drove around like a fucking G. Eltharion the Grim destroyed the goblin wire, and Grom disappeared. That's pretty much what I just said. I'm going to compare that to the notes that I've written. So after his conga line of greenskins defeated the human and elven and, and dwarven settlements, they originally wanted to go to the flatlands or the lowlands or something to get stockpiles of ammos and, and loot. But then some magical wind blew them to the west. Yes. Oh, yeah. Or something like away, that. Some will. away, said away. It was Over Enya. blew them across the fucking sea. <laughs> oh, can you imagine getting blown Enya. by Enya? How relaxing would that be? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. just <laughs> Is she able to carry that kind of long kind of lilting oh, when her mouth is full? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's no point in me doubly, doubling up on what Darren's just very succinctly summarized, so I think we'll just go with that. But some of the highlights I want to just pick out. Go on, give us your Orinoco flow. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to give it my best. It was an Edgy song, Chris. 
I remember there was a night goblin that became the banner man or banner goblin of Grom's because he got sat on for 12 hours. What was that night goblin's name again? Oh, yeah, yeah. He got ass squashed. Oh, fuck, I can't remember. And he got sat on for 12 hours, which was such an amazing feat. Niblet. Niblet. That's the one. That's the one. Niblet. Very adorable. That's like Fight Club. His name was Niblet. <laughs> and he was funky. His name was Niblet Paulson. <laughs> His name was Niblet Paulson. I also remember a dwarven, a glorious dwarven bronze statue being defaced to the likeness of Grom as well, a la Cristiano Ronaldo crap statue. <laughs> yeah. And I'm d- I'll be honest, I'm done. This is a new low point for you, Crowell. <laughs> This is, a, this is the jankiest. You have joke. one job. So uh, here we are. All right. So, I mean, it was, yeah, that was, that was that something. That was painful. Um, <laughs> is there anything that Crowell missed there? <laughs> oh, fuck it. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Most of what oh, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about. Okay, okay. Let me finish up. Let me have this bit. So, yeah, Azag the Slaughterer, which I think was one of um, Grom's generals, lieutenants, high ranking orc anyway, he found a funky looking hat that he put on his noggin. Oh, yeah. And as soon as he wore it, bam, he was besieged by voices and urgings and people compelling him to go south. Go south, bro. Go on. Go on. Go south. (laughs) But apparently his will was strong enough to defy the crown. And... Was it were they attacking like a, an elf? Was Azag and his and his and his party of orcs attacking like an elf settlement or something? And then the elves recognized that funky looking hat straight away as Nagash's crown. That ain't no hat. <laughs> Where'd you get that hat? Take that hat off. My largest concern at the minute is between the last record and this that you've had a stroke. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm still in said stroke. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right so first of all first of all azag and grom a couple of hundred years apart okay so he was not his general no like kral said all right okay, okay. i mean the broad right. strokes are there okay so have- tilia and s tilia are brother and sister Got it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so yes grom did get caught by a magical wind and uh, his fleet sent to the shores of uh sail away sail away sail away <laughs> oh Okay, so Azag and Grom never even met each other. No. Okay, Grom had no idea who Azag was, but Azag probably knew who Grom was. Right, okay, yeah. So uh, Grom... Do you think he did? Was he Was he quite influenced ooh, by him? Like, oh, 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 little... oh, and there was a wyvern, wasn't there? There was a wyvern called Skullmuncher. No, there wasn't. <laughs> a zag tamed this a wyvern This is making me want to jack the whole podcast in, because clearly I'm not a very good teacher. Chris, on the way to this podcast, <laughs> did somebody bump into you while you were carrying your notes and just drop them everywhere, and then you had to pick them up and just kind of get them into a rough pile, and now you're like reading them from like different episodes in the wrong yeah, order. Exactly. Yeah. And then Clan Scryer came down and were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and then sake. and then and then clan Mulder came with a book of grudges yeah and 
Oh, fuck. Right. Interestingly, from what you're saying there, I can tell you that Enya's new album is called Skull Muncher. (laughs) (laughs) Say it away, say it away, say it away. (laughs) Right, go on, Darren. Can you you unpack and unravel all of that, please? Here we go. (laughs) That's it, stretch. (laughs) Breathe. Grom, et troll guts, came very fat, constant regeneration, took over all the goblins that were near him, sat on a night goblin, Night Goblin called Niblet survived. They charged up into the Empire, accompanied by hordes and hordes of greenskins, ravaged the Empire both socially, economically, and sexually, got on rafts, <laughs> <laughs> headed towards the wastelands to conquer that area to get supplies. Mysterious wind came up, probably from the troll guts, and blew him across the sea to Othuan, where he laid siege to Tor, unpronounceable, and... <laughs> took the prince, nailed him to the front of the chariot, rode him to death, not in a good Vibrated way. Vibrated to death. Prince's son <laughs> on a, a not-shit griffin flew down, destroyed the host, Grom disappears. While all that was happening, Grom's shaman was trying to destroy the Waystone network. They got within destroying one Waystone of undoing the whole Great Vortex. So the old world dodged a green bullet there. Azag the Slaughterer came down from the north after fighting Kislev and Chaos forces, found an Iron Crown, Iron Crown possessed by a spirit, tried to possess Azag the Slaughterer, who was mentally quite strong, fought off the mental siege, attacked a monster, Enya's pet wyvern called Skullmuncher, rode (laughs) the wyvern down, heading south, compelled by the crown, took a detour, headed to the west and tried to take over some various places, including Middenheim eventually was destroyed by the Empire, and the Grand Theogenist of Sigmar recognized the crown and the spirit within, and it was, in fact, Nagash. That was outstanding. God, I t- so that's I t- basically what Kral said, right? I, I mean, I'm so tired yeah. now, I feel like I deserve a really kind of lilting, sonorous blowjob. Say it away, say it away. Coming right away. up. Right, Dar, where are we going? We are, what are we doing? Uh, this is our final dive into the great war bosses and leaders of the orcs. So it's our penultimate greenskin episode. And we're looking, going to look at arguably the two greatest greenskin warlords that exist in the present day Warhammer. Amazing. So we're going to look at Skarsnik, who's the great chief of the Crooked Moon tribe, a, a huge night goblin tribe. And then we'll look at the Hand of Gork, Grimgor Ironhide himself, who's this enormous black orc. Just his hand. It's just his hand. I tell you what, you wouldn't want to see any more of him. He's fucking deadly. Next week, his knee. (laughs) (laughs) So really, what we'll start with is Skarsnik, who is the the great night goblin chief, like the king of all night goblins, really, even though there are other tribes that are not associated with him much. Now, this is an interesting tale because it flies in the face of how orc culture is codified normally within the Warhammer world. So you're looking at orcs really only being the story of orcs being reflected in their battles with other races. So that's where we've gotten all the kind of details to date. It's from other races. Skarsnik is the exception to that. Because when he was the newly minted warlord of uh, Karak Eight Peaks, he captured a, a trading caravan that had a poet and playwright in it called Jeremiah von Wickenstadt. 
<laughs> and effectively what he did is he agreed to release him back into the world if he wrote down Skarsnik's own story in his own words. So what we're about to go through is the life of a goblin, a greenskin, told by a greenskin. And it's the only kind of instance That's of that amazing. in um, the kind of Warhammer lore. So it's like greenskin gogglebox. Yeah. Hopefully that'll <laughs> go a long way to kind of changing your opinion on Warhammer orcs. Not 40k, Warhammer fantasy. Um, <laughs> so it starts... So did he speak it in common? Uh, yeah, he spoke it in Reichspell, which is common, yeah. Reichspell? Reichspell is the language of the Empire. Or Reichspiel. Oh, okay. I thought we said when we were talking about Skaven that they spoke common. Is that just another name for... Yeah, effectively, the language of the Empire is really right, what okay. the common language of, uh, of Warhammer fantasy is. So... Skarsnik began his story not known as Skarsnik. He was referred to as Runt. He was a goblin slave born from a mushroom drop. We've discussed that previously, how greenskins reproduce, and was a slave, as I say, that became known as Runt. He was exceptionally cunning, which is a, a thing that's evident throughout his rise to power. This was identified quite quickly by runt boss Grobscab, who was the, the beefy goblin that was in charge of all the newborns. Uh, so very much like an angry green kindergarten teacher uh, who likes hitting people <laughs> and smashing them with sticks, uh, shoving them in crevices. Like Arnie. Yeah, that kind of idea. In kindergarten cop, just less friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say kindergarten oh. cock? Because that's a very different movie. <laughs> nope. For the record, and for nope. the sake of the courts, no. For <laughs> <laughs> that's the triple X director's cut. No, Your Honour, I did not. <laughs> My lawyers have asked me to answer this in a negative fashion. <laughs> so he was given uh, leadership over a small group of newborns, and he became what's referred to as runt git. Git being the greenskin version of good or worthy or capable. That it kind of encompasses that whole kind of concept, you know, like an official member of the tribe, as it were. So he ended up leading his own mini tribe of newborn goblins. And they're all like carriers and fetchers. They're the kind of the slaves within greenskin society. So when goblin is born, in quotes, when a goblin comes out of the ground, they're very much servants immediately and slaves immediately. And they have to earn their freedom in the eyes of the war bosses and societies. So as he was in charge of all of these goblins, he was able to get them to do all the work he should have been doing himself. And he used that spare time to explore the whole of uh, Carrick Eight Peaks, all the kind of back tunnels, the secret passages. Um, so he became this runt boy leader and began currying favor, both with the boss and the kind of head shaman of the backstairs boys, which is what the, the kind of overall tribe was referred to. Uh, I've seen that video. Just, <laughs> the, the backstreet boys. The backstairs boys. The backstairs boys. Yeah. Uh, tribute band. Backstairs boys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So realizing that his best chance for elevation within Greenskin society is to curry favor with the various bosses, sub-bosses, but also to try and build up his own power base in terms of wealth and material amongst his own kind of burgeoning tribe. He came into contact with a prisoner of the Backstairs Boys, which was a, a skaven called Screek Kit Yellowtooth, <coughs> who was a commander within the skaven forces of Clan Moors. And so freeing him, coming into an alliance, they began a kind of secret trade of weapons and money. So any kind of things like any warp stone found would be sent to the skaven and they'd send them weapons and arms and gold and whatever That's else cool. they required. I like that. They had a, a secret little uh, pact going on. Starcross yeah, lovers kind of helping one another out. Yeah. And so this secret trade made Runt incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. But unfortunately, as with all kinds of things, that when one goblin succeeds, another goblin becomes extremely jealous and shitty about it. And this other mm. jealous, shitty Runt boy was called Snotruck. And both Snotruck and Runt had a very antagonistic relationship while they were developing their own separate power bases. Snotrock was in charge of not only his own kind of drop, which is the nursery style thing where all the mushrooms grow, but also all the squigs that were in there as well. And he just constantly mistreated all the squigs, beating them, punching them, probably rubbing them with sandpaper and squirting lemon juice on them, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and in one instance, the one that really kind of signified an escalation of their scheming against each other. Runt, who is the hero of our story, basically, I was about to say, beat Snotrock off a squig, but you get the you get the gist. He saved a squig <laughs> from Snotrock's violence. Mm. This led Snotrock to betray the secret deal he had with the Skaven. To sorry, the, just to, to interject, do the squigs have any level of sentience in that, like they would remember that act of kindness? Uh, like, I think they, so. Would yeah, they then it, favor our hero over the other guy because the other guy was stopped kind of treating him badly? If you can imagine that a squig probably has the intelligence of a really, really angry drunk poodle. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's, it, it, they would remember, you know, it's why they have uh, squig herders. Squig herders treat their squigs in general very well. So the, they're in charge of the squigs and they're, the squigs respond to them and respond to commands and noises and what have you. So, okay. yes, squigs are trainable through a kind of Pavlovian response. Right. Okay. So yes, so betrayed by Snotrog, Runt is scheduled for execution. And as his execution is being carried out, a dwarf expeditionary force attacks the Baxter boys' fortress, their tribal hold, which disrupts everything. And it's not really clear whether he dives into an underground river or is thrown into an underground river. But nonetheless, Runt escapes. He escapes his fate as the dwarves attempt to take over the, the goblin position. Because uh, while all this is happening, the dwarves are trying to retake Karakate Peaks from mm. both goblins, orcs, and I think at the time Skaven as well in the kind of lower levels. Where, where is this event happening? Where is Runt escaping from? Where was he about to be executed? Broadly, it's in the World's Edge Mountains, that long spine of mountains that comes down. There's a dwar an old dwarf mm. fortress called Karakate Peaks, about halfway up the actual size of the thing. I know it well. 
Yeah, it was there. It was, it there, was there. It was at it was in in yeah. there. So okay. he's that's where he was born. That's where he yeah. rose to some level of power with his own tribe, all within the subterranean elements of that dwarven yeah. hold. Um, so he's washed out. Effectively, the river he jumped into washes him out into the the open air, and he makes it to the surface, and he's washed up on the shores on the banks of a river. And luck being luck is instantly captured by a load of wolf boys. Now, these are wolf riders, goblin wolf rider tribes, nomadic tribes, which, interestingly enough, ride wolves. (laughs) No way! (laughs) No way! (laughs) So he's captured by, this is possibly the greatest name so far, Great Grizzler Griff Makaki the Cunning. Fucking hell. We'll just call him Greg. Say that again. Great Grizzler Griff Makaki the Cunning. Wow. Yep, forgotten it already. Wonder what his brothers and sisters were called. <laughs> Susan and Darby. The second. <laughs> Darby. <laughs> so we'll we'll refer to him simply as Griff. Yeah. That'll do. So Griff sees huge potential in the kind of confidence and defiance of Runt, but he wants to see what he'll do. He wants to kind of size him up a bit more. So instead of killing him and eating him, which is largely what goblins will do. Which is fair game. The most eaten food by goblin is goblin, or snotlings, or squigs. No, it's not. Oh, is it? Are they all are they a bit a bit cannibal, are they? In general, what happens is that orcs will eat goblins, goblins will eat smaller goblins and snotlings and squig, and everyone eats mushrooms to get high off their tits. <laughs> Which is wow. I, I I had a thought recently was do orcs have nipples? No. You know what mm-hmm. I was thinking? Do orcs have genitalia at all, in all seriousness? Because they spore, right? I think they must have had originally before the mushroom idea came in, as in they had originally in Warhammer, because you have half-orcs up to the third edition. And after third edition, half-orcs disappear. (laughs) I thought you were going to say like half-orcs up to the waist. Up to the waist. (laughs) Green cock. So yes, green from the waist down. Green from the waist down, much like Enya. Anyway, uh, back to the story. In your way. <laughs> You've interrupted my Orinoco flow. Um, so <laughs> Griff has an enormous prison wagon built and throws Runt in there with some other prisoners that they've taken, like humans and dwarves, that kind of thing. So he effectively spends the next few years in his wagon, never leaving, but he's learning Reichspiel, the common language, and Kazalid, the dwarf language, from the other prisoners. So eventually he becomes fluent in both the common tongue of the humans and of the dwarf language. So as I said, incredibly intelligent, incredibly cunning goblin. Eventually he decides, I don't want to stay in a fucking prison wagon anymore. So he stages a fight with a dwarf and strangles the little bearded twat to death. So Griff releases Skarsnik because not only does he realize that he can speak both uh, human and dwarf tongues, but he's pretty handy in a fight, especially against like a muscly dwarf. And so releases him and he pledges to become a spy for the Wolf Riders. So he spends the next few years... Despite the Wolf Riders imprisoning him for years in a cage, he said... Oh God! You know what? You've done right by me by letting me out of this cage after <laughs> yeah. three years. I'm going to be your I'm gonna spy. Be, I'm going to be your trustful spy assassin, dude. Okay. All right. <laughs> also, I'm sure there's more to it than that. 
Also, yeah, a small sure. small issue with him being a spy. Surely his abilities as a spy are quite limited by the fact that he's like a fucking three foot green being. Yeah, but he can't he exactly can... like blend into Aldorf, can he? No, but he can hide in mountain passes, hide in dwarf tunnels, sneak out the way, and listen because he can understand the language that's languages uh, and relay the plans uh, and so forth. Cunning little green bastard. So saboteur type. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, okay, I mean, cool. you're not wrong. I suspect he becomes like a large bug, as we would understand it in the spy community. Ah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Hard to stick him in a lampshade, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I'm never going to trust a Christmas tree again. (laughs) Here, you got trouble dragging your loot around after you. I mean, you've only got one hand, and and hand the other one. How's you expect to get your loot out your Yumi lands, eh? This is why I, Grimtooth the Crafty, invented the Coin Gobbler. Simply take one of me specially trained goblins and force your loot into its gob. Like this. Come here, you! No, boss, not again. I still stick for that blue stone! Open wide! There! All done. And now your loot can follow you anywhere. I don't feel so well. That butt plug squid is hurting me. You touch that and I'll have you. Where was I? Oh yeah, coin gobblers. Keep your choppers in your hands, boys. Matt, what's happening? So while he's doing this, he's building a rapport. He's adding more value to the Wolf Riders. He's giving them good information. He's rising in esteem in Griff's eyes. But there's obviously a problem because he is answering directly to Griff, but there is a goblin who's second in command of the Wolf Riders, a guy called Gullbash, and really hates sharing any kind of power. He sees himself as the next leader of the wolf clan, of the wolf riders. And Golbash is particularly cowardly and weedy, much like almost all other goblins, and is protected by this very kind of roided up goblin called Gur. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused Grr. with the wind of magic. Um, okay. So Skarsnik thinks, I have to get round this little green shite. And so what he does is he helps uh, a lowly boss, a lowly goblin boss called Krugler, to challenge Gur in a kind of arena pit match, nice. kind of gladiatorial combat. And through devious means, Krugler is able to kill Gur, which then leaves the kind of second in command of the Wolf Riders completely unprotected, kind of cowardly. What's, what kind of devious means? Uh, poison, name calling, uh, kind of bullying through social media, that kind of idea. Right, okay. He yeah, trolled yeah, him. Yeah. That would bring the best of us to our knees. <laughs> hmm, yeah. So effectively, Runt then becomes the second in command of the Wolf Riders. And while building power within that tribe, manages to eventually catch and kill Gulbash, the other second in command, and then tries to convince Griff to return back to Karakate Peaks so that they can take over the running of the, the Backsteers boys there. But Griff refuses. And so uh, 
kind of committing to a larger vision, Runt slits his throat with a, a large kind of sickle-shaped sword, which will become one of his weapons of choice in the future. Nice. He takes over the Wolf Riders and heads to Karak Eight Peaks, and as he travels, he conquers all of the goblin tribes around him, and including some of this kind of smaller orc tribes as they go. So eventually they get to the gates of Karak Eight Peaks with a significant greenskin army, and just lays about everything around there, just conquers as much of the surface around Karakate Peaks as possible. Karakate Peaks having been a refuge for any greenskin. So any greenskin who could make it to Karakate Peaks, the door was always open. They were able to get in and space would be made for them. Of course, there'd be skirmishes and trying to get some increased resources and spaces for yourself, but it was a kind of safe haven for the greenskins. When he arrives there, unfortunately, he sees that the gates are closed. <sighs> and he realizes from talking with other greenskins around, or uh, I suppose talking, interrogating, torturing other greenskins around. <laughs> tromboning. Yeah, tromboning. <laughs> realizes that the whole of Karak Eight Peaks had recently changed ownership. And in, oh. in fact had been taken over by the Skaven. Oh shit. It's now a Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to say that the dwarves took it back, right? Okay, no, so it was the Skaven. No, no. Effectively, what happened is the Skaven had split the Crooked Moon tribe in half. The Backstairs boys being one of the smaller tribes mm. within the Crooked Moon tribe. And so they had come up from underneath and just kind of spiked up through the middle of the territory and were constantly expanding their, their column of influence, shall we say, so that they could eventually push the greenskins that still remained within the mountain out so it could be a completely a scaven hold. Mr. Chris. Question. So it was, Karakate Peaks was dominated by the greenskins and then the scaven came up in between them and then slowly overtook them. This was not the same as the Battle of Karakate Peaks, which we heard about in the scaven episode where the doors were driven out by poisoning no. their water source. And things no, like. no, this no, is, this no. is a completely different era. This is hundreds of years later. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Was yeah. the water better now? Had the water cleared from the poison, or is it still generally poisoned? I think it's still generally poisonous, but greenskins in general prefer the liquid nutrition of cooked meat and puddles wow. and puddles. Yes. <laughs> Fresh waters. <laughs> yuck. Right. Okay. So leaving his army on the surface to kind of hold their position, Runt, using his knowledge of all the kind of secret little entrances and sneaky passageways, gets into the mountain and heads down in just to see for himself exactly what's happened. So as I've described, the Skaven have effectively split the Crooked Moon tribe in half. And one half is kind of disarrayed. There's no real leadership. But on the other half, we discover that his old nemesis, the runt boy Snotruck, is now the big boss of the Crooked Moon tribe. And seeing, <gasps> seeing runt... Was that the guy who tried to kill him? The, the guy yeah. who tried to execute him? Yeah, right, at okay. the very start. Yeah, the, the squig abuser. So what he does is he throws him into a squig pen so that he'll be eaten alive. And there's huge kind of laughter and screeches, if you can imagine. this. He's in the middle of this arena. There's lots of kind of chompy mouths heading towards him. And suddenly, one of the squigs turns on the others and <sighs> kind of destroys them, eats them. 
and comes up and licks his face. It's the very squig, Ben. The very squig that he saved oh my from God. Snotrock. That's amazing. He remembered. He remembered. He remembered. Yeah. Hey, Rex, you remember me? Hey, buddies. We used to be buddies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, you remember? That is the best thing I have heard all day. <laughs> God, that's like a Disney film right there. So this, this is a, a huge squig. Is it a cave squig? It's a huge cave squig, which he names Gobbler because he grabs onto the squig, they leap out of the arena, and instantly attacks Snotrock, and Gobbler just chomps him down in two big bites. Brilliant. Um, so he calls him Gobbler because he ate his enemy. Because <laughs> yeah. he gobbled him. Yeah. He gobbled yeah. I get him. it. So with Snotrock dead, it's a piece of piss for our boy Runt to be able to come up with the kind of policies, the commitments and political manifestos to take over the Crooked Moon Tribe, which he does in a matter of hours. He's in charge, large and in charge. Excellent. He comes up with a plan to rejoin both halves and also to try and retake the doorway, the main gateway, so that his army can get in. So hold on. He was the head of the Wolf Riders, right? Yeah. And then on his way to Caracate Pete, he took over a load of other tribes. Did he have a name for, for that group before he met the Crooked Moon Tribe? I've not come across a name for it. It probably did have one. I just haven't seen it. Because you mentioned at the start that he eventually is known as Skarsnik of the Crooked Moon tribe. Yeah. Does he just decide, right, that's the name. I'm going for that brand. I want to incorporate everyone that I've gathered up together so far into that tribe. That eventually happens. But what happens at the minute is he's War Boss Runt. War Boss Runt right. is his full kind of title. Uh, so okay. he's in charge of the surviving members of the Crooked Moon tribe within the mountain. So gotcha. using an enormous series of traps and ambushes, he not only brings the Skaven expansion to a halt, but actually starts to push them back. So they're constantly gaining ground. So you can imagine these tunnels are just echoing with shrieks and the clatter of battle and death throes of not only Skaven and goblins, but rat ogres, and the tunnels are being washed with warp fire. There'll be poison wind globideers throwing stuff left, right, and center. But ultimately, the Skaven are being pushed back through weight of numbers, but also the calculated targeting of attacks because he is that good of a tactician. Wow. Ultimately, he's able to lead the leadership of the Skaven clan, which turns out to be Clan Moors, the clan for his old ally, Screekit Yellowtooth. <sighs> so he gets Screekit Yellowtooth and the Skaven leadership drives them into an ambush where they're effectively just eaten alive by squigs and ravenous goblins and what have you. So he decapitates the Skaven forces of Clan Moors. Oh, so I'm assuming that 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 relationship is now done. He was like, I don't need that anymore. No, he, he doesn't need that anymore. <laughs> you're, you're treading on thin ice here. <laughs> uh... I'm assuming that he probably he he probably stopped trading with him, didn't he? Because he was only trading with him when he was in... Well, he was. He was going to be executed. So he, right. when he was thrown or jumped into the river, that was it. Any kind of contact he had with his old tribe. I mean, when he came back in... The first contact he had with his old tribe was he was going to be eaten alive by squigs. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's been they no didn't time exactly for any of that. Roll out the red carpet for him, did they? You know. No. Did he know that Yellow Balls was the head of that 
Skaven. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, because it was Clan he Moors, did. so he knew he had a contact in Clan Moors, but he didn't realize that Yellowtooth had become the kind of overall warlord of Clan Moors. So his right. old ally is now his, you know, one of his uh, most Ar- dedicated Arch enemies, nemesis. and is the yeah. the leader of the enemy army. So the relationship that they had was that only known between them, like. The Skaven under Yellow Balls, they wouldn't have been happy, surely, if that was public knowledge. I don't think it really mattered at that point. That was years ago anyway, long and forgotten. And I think it's like a new chapter in both tribes, isn't it? Truces and packs are made and broken all the time in Warhammer, aren't they? But it was just a trading thing. So my question is, like, did other Skaven in Yellow Balls' warren know that that's what he was doing? Or was it? He, did he keep it on the down low? Well, you've got to remember how Skaven influence others. If you recall, they make alliances to make sure like the sewer wardens aren't patrolling on a certain night in a given empire town while they move forces around. The only way we can do that is by offering influence and power to a traitor within the enemy forces. And that's, right, I okay, think, what okay. they believed they were doing with Runtgit. Yeah. Gotcha. Right, 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 right. Okay. So with the leadership of Clan Moors dead the armies fell back into the main Skaven stronghold within Karakate Peaks, which was this reconstructed dwarven hold in the middle of something called the Hull of a Thousand Pillars. And a good example of what that might look like is the Khazadum. A hole? In- <laughs> Load of pillars. <laughs> it's Khazadum in the Lord of the Rings. Do you remember that they're running through these uh, a huge pillared hall? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that when all the goblins come out? Yeah, that kind of idea. Yeah, that's such a great scene. So you can imagine this uh, enormous kind of columned hall, easily the size of a large town, with this kind of ratty-looking Skaven fortress in the middle, through which all their forces were coming up. So coordinating both halves of the Crooked Moon tribe, they attack from the flanks. So Runtgit and his half attack from one side, the other remnants of the Crooked Moon tribe attack from the other and they both successfully breach the walls and they just start slaughtering any skaven they find and while that's going on again the noise of battle the smoke the screams the clatters they just hear kind of rhythmic stamping and this is a huge column of storm vermin and clan rats coming back from the upper reaches of Karakate peaks to repulse the goblin attack oh As they begin to engage, they hear this enormous wail of what's called squig pipes, which is the squig version of bagpipes. Um, No, it's not. It is. It absolutely is. That's fucking brilliant. Are they tartan as well? No, they're they're red because squigs are red. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then they just hear this enormous kind of stampede because it heralds the arrival of Runtgit's army led by the Wolfrider clans because they've seized the gate and are now heading straight down into the Hall of a Thousand Pillars. Shit's about to get real. So you've you've got the, the mother of all wars going on anyway in the, bait, in the Great Pillared Hall and then you've got a, another legion of Skaven coming from above and then another legion of Greenskins coming from somewhere else to just make it an absolute fucking Ben-Hur of an epic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's literally, wow. there's not a space available. I mean, the the original attack... And they had to the, turn away. Sorry, guys, there's no room. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave. <laughs> You'll have to pull a ticket and stand in queue. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. they made more room because what the goblins had gotten hold of were the old stores of dwarf gunpowder. So they, they mm. blew holes in the side of the hall. So you can imagine there's huge explosions, enormous lumps of masonry flying through, squashing Skaven left, right, and center, and then just hordes of greenskins plowing through the holes in the walls. The Wolf Riders, led by the recently promoted boss Krugler, if you remember, he was the boss that was promoted in mm. the pit fights. He killed Gur. And then mm. it just turns into a huge meat grinder. And just the sheer weight of numbers from the greenskins, the goblins, the orcs, the trolls, wolf riders. Eventually, the greenskins win, driving the skavens back down. And over the next few years, the goblins kind of continue to pour forces down into Karak Eight Peaks, eventually liberating almost the entire mountain. So it's now wholly within the kind of control of the Crooked Moon tribe, who is led by the recently renamed Skarsnik. Runtgit is given the name Skarsnik in kind of honor of his prowess. And him and Gobla are now in charge pretty much of all night goblins, though there are tribes that are not associated with him. But, you know, what he says goes. And so he is camped there. He heads out every now and then just to remind everyone he still exists. He particularly hates the dwarves because he holds them responsible not only for the kind of constant attacks that come against Karak Eight Peaks, but also they were responsible for him being thrown in the river. It was a dwarf patrol mm. that oh, saved yeah. his life. I mean, he could see that as a blessing. I mean, he came out, he, he ended yeah. up not being executed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why does he hate the dwarves if they saved his life? Well, it's a night goblin, isn't it? It's yeah, just, it's just, they, it's they just, hit dwarves. yeah, genetic. Right. Okay. Okay. He's quite famous for destroying dwarf armies, scalping their beards. He beard scalps them and leaves a huge pile of beards in front of a dwarf hold's door and doesn't bother attacking the hold. He just leaves. So his cruelty wow. is legendary. Spunky. And also, yeah. you know, it was a few years after that where he captured that poet who retold this tale of the rise of Skarsnik and how he came to power and what the life of a goblin is actually like. And that's it. That's wow. the end of the Skarsnik tale. What do you guys think? That was amazing. That's pretty fucking cool. It was quite an amazing feat that uh, the night goblins, I mean, with the aid of other greenskins and orcs and whatnot, managed to drive off the Skaven. Have any of the races of the old world been able to do anything as epic as that? Because you're on, you know, the Skaven underground, you're on their home turf. I know that that was a dwarven hole to begin with, and I know dwarves spend a lot yeah. of their time underground, but the Skaven seems so innumerable and inevitable that doing something like that seems almost impossible. Have the old world ever done something like that, driven, you know, the Skaven have come up from under and driven outwards? Have they been driven back in the same way by the dwarves or the humans or the elves? I can only think of one comparable example, and that was at the end of the Black Plague, where the forces of the Empire through Middenheim liberated the whole of the Empire from the Skaven who had overrun everything except Middenheim and kind of pushed them back under. Mm. I also think that a Greenskin tribe is comparable in size, roughly, with a Skaven clan. So there was okay. one Skaven clan and dozens of greenskin tribes. So the advantage the Skaven mm. had was they were tunnel fighters, effectively. So they had mm, a, okay. a technological advantage, whereas the greenskins had volume of numbers and also 
I mean, night goblins are tunnel fighters as well. They very they almost never sure. come out of caves. So yeah, only one big example, uh, and that's from a, a thousand years before that. I think there's individual yeah, yeah. examples where they'll fight back a load of Skaven that they find in the sewers and block up the entrance. But that's it. But that's really it. They but don't- this battle seemed particularly mahusive. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, and unforgiving. Yeah. yeah, what a battle. Okay. Yeah. So you said that he was named Skarsnik. Yes. Did the tribe name him, or did he pick that name? He was named by the kind of war bosses, the leadership of the Crooked Moon tribe. Ah, okay. He's okay. given a new name. Okay. And is there any relevance behind the name, or is it just uh, Scars? Is kind of cut, a kind of bleeding, a wound in kind of orc. It's kind of weird. This is where one of these crossovers between 40k and fantasy happens because there's no real lexicon of orc terms uh, or greenskin terms, more correctly, in fantasy. There's a couple here and there, but the real kind of orc language was defined in the kind of tail end of first edition 40k. Uh, mm. So scar, snick, scar is kind of a wound, a bloody wound, and snick is to cut, to kill, to assassinate. So nice. He's the cutting assassin of the Greenskin race. Do you think that's because he cut the throat of the other goblin when he took over? Krieger, Kruger, Kruger, Kremlin. No, he <laughs> uh, slit the throat of Griff of the big Griff. Griff. Is what I said. Griff. No, I, I think it's more a cultural thing where he is the assassin of the Skaven the kind of abstract assassin of uh, uh, enemies of the Greenskins, specifically in Karak Eight Peaks. Okay, cool. All right. He is also known as the King of Karak Eight Peaks. That's how he refers to himself. Right, okay. The other thing I was going to say is beard scalping. Yes. Is that like normal scalping, but on the beard, in that they cut the skin as well, or do they just cut the beard off? Probably. No, no, no. It's not a shave. They actually beard scalp. So <laughs> I was going to say. the skin with them. Because if that's the case, then I scalp myself every couple of days, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing I was going to ask is like, you, so from what you're saying, this is current, isn't it? This is like up this to is current, yes. Present yeah. day. So These he's two still, guys are current, yeah. Right. So he's still an ever present threat in the old world. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Cool. So. What's next? That was Skarsnik. That was Skarsnik. Uh, so the the final character we'll talk about is the ultimate orc badass, who is Grimgore Ironhide. Awesome. He's a black orc from the Dark Lands. Listeners Amazing. will recall that black orcs were a creation by the Chaos Dwarves, where they bred stronger and stronger orcs. Interestingly, I'm not entirely sure how they did it, given that it's just spores. Did they just harvest from the strongest orcs and kind of split the genetics in a very kind of, you know, Mendel's pea pod kind of early genetic (laughs) experiment? Or did they use magic? Did they magically enhance a really angry mushroom uh, Mm. so it would be even more (laughs) angry? Shazam. (laughs) Shazam. So... The origins and rise to power of Grimgore Ironhide to the point where he became a note on the the consciousness of Warhammer World is completely mysterious. There's no stories of how he escaped enslavement or even how old he is. How many summers has he seen as an orc warlord? 
he arrived kind of fully formed out of the blasted wastes. Now, the Darklands, they're split into kind of two main regions. You have the Darklands proper, and then you have what's called the Blasted Wastes. It's a huge kind of desert, tundra-style scrubland where the Chaos Dwarves test out their weapons, where all the slaves toil, and where they pull all the resources out of the land. So very much, if you can imagine what Isengard looked like after the orcs were mm. digging it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah industrialized yeah that but like in the size of a country it's like spoil heaps that kind of idea Mm -hmm. so he became the leader of a black orc war band a a tribe called the immortals so he's this huge grizzled black orc boss who wields a huge two-handed axe and he's uh, backed by rank upon rank upon rank of heavily armored very well disciplined orcs Black Orcs are effectively the fighting Urukai of Warhammer. There's no story of how not only did Grimgore come into being, but his band of Merry Orcs came into being either. They just kind of came out of nowhere, did they? Both Grimgore yeah, first- and, his, and his blokes and his Orcs. His orc blokes. Yeah, we, we very much fall back into the traditional model of orc history where we only know him from his impact on other mm. races. Mm-hmm. And the very first race was the dwarves of Karak Kadron. So this is the, the huge, I think this is the Slayer one. Yes. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, the it Slayer is. one. So he lays siege to, well, he doesn't even lay siege. He simply starts causing trouble. And... <laughs> Kicking a football against the wall of their thing. Like, stop yeah. kicking footballs against our wall. I've told you. I've told you. You come down here and say that. Just playing loud Kick. music over and over. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, he's literally walking around just attacking things because he's an orc. He enjoys nice. it. He's the archetypical single minded orc. Are his immortals all black orcs as well, or are they just regular yes. orcs? They're, oh, they're all black orcs. So yeah. all, all black heavily orcs. armored black orcs. Yeah. Fuck, they must be nuggets. Uh, immortal, even. Yeah, well, uh, all they've done their entire life is fight. That's all they've done. So you can imagine you've got these huge, muscle-bound, Arnold Schwarzenegger-style orcs uh, led by an orc that's effectively as big as an ogre and is just solid muscle. Amazing. Uh, and angry all the time. It has a Bavarian um, accent, yeah? Get to the chopper. <laughs> it pumps the iron. <laughs> pumps the iron. It's the pump. So he starts just fucking shit up and killing, destroying every army. He defeats every dwarf army that's sent against him. And in fact, is never defeated by a dwarf army in his entire campaign of war. The survivors that do make it back speak of this unbelievable, brutal carnage. It's pure greenskinned savagery. There's no tactics. There's no kind of cunning. There's no mark, the kind of cunningly brutal. He's just simply brutally cunning. All gork, no mark. Wow. All gork, no mark. That's a t-shirt. Did you say that the right way around? I'm not sure you did, because you said he's just brutally cunning. Brutal, uh, cunningly brutal versus brutally cunning. Yes, no, I did say it the wrong way around. Yeah, I did say yeah, it the yeah. wrong way around. So he's so he's cun- so he's cunningly brutal. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> he's one of them. He's one of them. <laughs> he's, he's several of them all at once. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh dear, right, okay. But in all his campaigns, he never tries to capture a fortress or a, a hold or take up any kind of defensive position. All he does is defeat armies and keeps going. Amazing. So it's just a constant ball of aggro rolling around the top of the uh, <laughs> Wee. thingy mountains. Wee! <laughs> So eventually, the dwarves of the World Edge Mountains in the kind of top corner, they eventually just give up trying to send out guys to fight him. Anytime he and his army arrives, they simply get into their hold and close the doors. They effectively hide (laughs) and cover their shame and cowardice by entering a new grudge in the Book of Grudges. (laughs) (laughs) So tiring of this warfare... Grimgore decides, right, we'll take the boys and we'll we'll head over the mountains and we'll see what's there. So he crosses over the mountains and heads a little bit north and arrives in Kislev, uh, which uh, listeners will remember is angry Poland. Um, he defeats three armies in a row, again, not bothering to stop, not bothering to take any kind of prisoners, not bothering to take slaves or just for sport. Just for sport. And it quickly becomes apparent that he's not interested in conquest. He's only interested in fighting. He doesn't leave garrison forces, nothing like that. He just wants to fight, literally wants to fight. Doesn't care about an army that he has. Doesn't care about any of that other than it helps him get into bigger fights. All he wants to do is prove both to the gods and himself that he is the toughest motherfucker in Warhammer. Holy shit, this guy sounds fucking amazing. He's the orc poster boy. Oh yeah, he is absolutely the orc poster boy. It's quite intimidating as well because there's no motive. There's no kind of... Yeah, there's no guile. There's no measurable intention other than fighting for the sake of fighting. Do you know what I mean? There's no extrinsic motivation. He's just doing it for the love of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And this gets to a point where he marches on the actual capital city of Kislev itself, which is home not only to... And the Ice Queen says, hold on a minute, mate. What are you doing here? You're not welcome. Well, almost exactly that's what happened. Have you read my notes? Uh, (laughs) Catherine, the Ice Queen. So the kind of Polish Elsa from Frozen, she is the queen of Kislev, and she's also the most powerful ice mage in Warhammer. Uh, a queen that summons a blizzard and freezes enemies. And that, that bitch, bitch cold. cold. <laughs> <laughs> I got in there first, you fucker. <laughs> and so she summons an enormous blizzard, an enormous ice storm, which freezes the Greenskin army. You've got to imagine as well that orcs being orcs, he still has this core force of the immortals, but there are now hundreds of tribes associating with him because... While he may not be interested in treasure and loot and conquest, other yeah. war bosses are. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're they're not guiding him because he's unguidable. But what they're doing is they're uh, taking up the sloppy seconds, as it were. It's interesting mm-hmm. that he's still referred to as a green skin, when in fact he's not, is he? He's a black skin. No, his skin isn't black. Black oh. orcs, uh, they, are, they come from the dark lands. Uh, so it's, it's just a name. Uh, it, they are, not yeah. Right, so he's still green. Yes, it's a darker green to be sure, but yeah. Okay, a green nonetheless. And so as his forces march towards Kislev, they're just battered constantly by this magical storm. 
and frustrated by the death of thousands of greenskins on the kind of foot march to Kislev, he kills another few dozen in uh, anger and then just retreats. So they, <laughs> it's the first time he's known defeat, really. So he wow. comes back, he withdraws from Kislev, and then his temper gets the better of him and he decides to march back. And instantly the storm comes back. So he loses more <laughs> green skins, more followers. Oh. Uh, eventually, he just throws it all in as a bad lot and heads off. That reminds me of that Eddie Izzard thing where he's talking about the Germans trying to invade Russia during the war. And he's like, we've got a good plan. We've got a good plan. Oh, it's a bad plan. It's a bad plan. It's a bad plan. Retreat. Uh, we've got a new plan. We've got a new plan. We've got a... Oh, it's the same plan. It's the same plan. It's the same plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you see, I don't think it's a good analogy because that implies that Grimgore had a plan and he doesn't. Uh, okay, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So he heads off to take Karak Ungor, which is this dwarven hold in the World's Edge Mountains, east and south of the country of Kislev. He gets in, he starts throwing his axe around, takes his temper out, because he's just enraged that he got beaten, that he was, well, not even beaten, that he was unable to close with an enemy that was powerful enough to stop him. He want, really wants to fight. So he takes out not only the night goblin tribes that are within Karakongor, but also the, the Skaven clans that are there. So he takes on Clan Moors, famous from um, oh, yeah. Eight Peaks, but also Clan Mulder is there. And so he he sets up a kind of fortress for himself and his uh, immortals and the other orcs and goblins and trolls and what have you that are there. And really he becomes content for a while because he's found his endless war, his endless fight, because he spends his springs and summers above ground killing anything he can get his hands on or fighting anything he can get his hands on, ranging from Kislevites to Chaos Dwarves to Empire Troops to Dwarves um, and other Orc and Goblin tribes. And then he spends the colder seasons underground fighting Skaven and Night Goblin and anything else he can get his hands on. Uh, and because there's enough time between each journey up and down, the enemies kind of think he's gone, so they come back in and re retake position so he ends <laughs> up with this amazing kind of or just great kind of a disneyland of carnage is, is really what he wants <laughs> is he amazing. also engaging with any uh, chaos armies or anything because as i remember kislev were the last kind of humanoid bastion between the northern wastes the chaos wastes up north and then the old world so did he inherently ever have a brush with it with any chaosness yes but not yet Okay, fine. In the time he spends underground, he you can imagine he's marching through, he's gotten into the Skaven under Empire and into the Dwarven underway. So he's traveling great distances underground, marching up and down with his immortals and the rest of his forces, and eventually comes to the borders of the Hell Pit. Now, listeners will recall that is the stronghold of Clan Mulder in the north of the Old World, where all the beasts, all the rat ogres and abominations are grown and made. All the fleshy creations of Skavendom come out of there. Mm. And it comes to the notice of a very famous Skaven called Throt the Unclean, the three-armed horror, the, the pack master of Clan Mulder. I think we've um, mentioned him before, haven't we? Throttling. We have mentioned yeah. him before, yeah. indeed, yeah. He was one of the very first Skaven characters ever created, Throt oh, the Unclean. Right. one of the yeah, first Skaven models as well. He's armed with either a blade or a whip and one of the man-catchers 
if you remember from um vermintide it's mm. the one that lifts you up oh my yeah. god i totally remember that figure from we posted from... about him haven't we on on our socials no 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 i mean from when darren used to teach me to paint when i was younger i remember that figure yeah yeah Fuck. yeah wow Oh, Sentimental shit. attachment to throttle the unclean, hey Ben. You get yeah, teary-eyed yeah, exactly. when you see him. You like get verklempt, like throttle. Yeah, <laughs> my boy. <laughs> I guess Sammy, which is ironic, really, how, how anal you are about cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> I get a memory, Sammy. <laughs> Sammy, a memory, Sammy. Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> a memory, Sam. Nice, nice effort. Seven out of ten, man. Seven out of ten. <laughs> I can't talk now. I've got a nostalgia boner. Um, <laughs> Hello, I'm renowned poet and playwright Jeremiah von Bickenstadt, the very same Jeremiah von Bickenstadt who chronicled the life of Skarsnik, the goblin king of Carrick Aikbeats. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> Let me ask you, is your memory failing you? Are you struggling to complete the simplest of tasks? Are you involved in a creative production and are having difficulty recapping things that happened only weeks ago, even when provided a written list by someone who can accurately recall said events? Well, you're likely suffering from numskalitis, a common psychological condition caused by excess air spider use and just generally being a bit of a dick. But fret not, help is at hand. Here at the Bigginstad School for the Not-So-Gifted, we specialize in tried and tested memory-improving treatments such as hitting you in the head with books, shouting at you to do better, and dousing you in cold water every time you get something wrong. Give us just four weeks and we'll ensure you never let your team members down or ruin the intro to a podcast again. The Bickenstadt School for the Not-So-Gifted. Because being a numbskull isn't cool. So Thraw is uh, absolutely fascinated by the fact that this orc even exists because he's so powerful and so angry all the time that he wants to kind of experiment with them because, you know, the pack masters are kind of biological mad scientists. So I think his aim is ultimately to be able to harvest some of the genetic material from Grimgore and try and unlock the secrets of the, of the process that the Chaos Dwarves did to create the Black Orcs, but also to see if there's any kind of cross-pollination he can do to create like super angry Skaven, that kind of idea. Let nice. me guess. He tried to take a swab from the inside of his cheek. Just, <laughs> just open, just open wide. <laughs> this will well, be Well, in, in a very roundabout way he did, but what actually happened was he sent three dozen rat ogres to fight him. Mano a three dozen rat ogres. Uh, and <laughs> Orc- Orco. Oh. <laughs> so uh, to use our beloved Scottish phrase, Grimgore went pure fucking ragey and just started laying about the rat ogres who had, out. you know, he had been kind of lured slightly into an ambush. So he faced up against uh, 36 rat ogres. Um, <laughs> and, hell. Jesus. You know, using kind of basic combat tactics and tunnel fighting tactics and being able to get into a kind of defensible position in terms of uh, a small amount of enemies coming in at a time. He slaughtered all of them. Uh, he <laughs> wow. single-handedly killed 36 rat ogres. And this led Throt to become 
kind of angry. Horny. <laughs> I suppose it's the polite way of putting this. He became he became quizzically horny. Um, <laughs> he got a research boner and decided that he wanted to catch Grimgore now. So he organized an enormous expedition to head off and just kind of swamp the orc warlord with numbers and see if they could catch him, cage him, and then he'd be able to conduct more experiments on them. Nice. Uh, and also his immortals as well. But by the time that Throt had got to the site of the orc camp, Grimgore was already long gone. He had left. Unless you think he had fled from fear, he had not, in fact. He had become what I like to call bored shitless. Horny. (laughs) (laughs) Horny. (laughs) Hand me another rat ogre head. This one is used. (laughs) Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) Squeak, squeak, you bitch. So he headed out, he headed out north and he returned back through the Skaven Under Empire, back to Karakungor and just said, there's no challenge anymore here. I've killed the best the Skaven have to offer. I've killed all the tribes, the clans and tribes in and around Karakungor. So he decided, you know what? Fuck this for a game of soldiers, no pun intended. I'm heading home. So what he does is he takes his army and he heads back up north and heads back into the northern darklands. And this is where he gets to, as Chris kind of asked, he gets his first real taste of chaos. Because what happens is he gets into what's called the Battle of the High Pass, which is at the very top of the darklands, there's a a, a plateau, and uh, there's a high pass into the plateau, and that allows you then to carry on down into the realm of the chaos dwarves and the darklands proper. But when he got to the pass, he met his first kind of real experience with the forces of chaos. He met the prime lieutenant of the ever-chosen of chaos, the kind of anointed chaos champion, Archon the ever-chosen, and met the lieutenant who's called Crom the Conqueror, uh, who's a cracking miniature. He fights both with a shield and a sword, but in his hand that has the shield, he also has an axe. Uh, so he's kind of slice and dice fighter. I can just imagine him being quite clumsy in the middle of fight. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, hold on. Let me just get my shit. Oh, my bloody axe is in the- Okay, right, go. Yep. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Sword, sword, sword. Oh, for fuck's sake. Can you just hold he's that a nightmare for, for okay. making you a cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just, spill it. just put something down. Jesus. Dude, like, you, you fucking spilling the sugar with your axe. Just put the axe down. Like, what are you trying to prove? Like, also, this is Earl Grey, you shithead. Yeah, but you like, <laughs> pay attention when I'm telling you what I want instead of chopping. He sounds quite cumbersome. <laughs> <laughs> what I want you to picture is you've got this broad mountain pass across the World's Edge Mountains. Off to the east, you can see the mountains of Morn and the land falling away in front of you. Behind you, you've got Kislev and the Northern Empire. So it's stunning. It, it really is a bat- battle at the top of the world on this, this high mountain pass. On one side, you've got serried rank of chaos warriors, these huge six foot plus armored tanks of, of humanity dedicated to the chaos gods. In all their glory, you'll have Chaos Marauders, the kind of angry Vikings of Warhammer. Would those first guys, would they look, do you remember in the opening sequence in Vermintide, the Skaven character who's dealing with the portal is talking to a Chaos Warrior and he's like fucking yeah. huge and armored and like horned and whatnot. Is that the kind of, yes, it's, that's it, what you're talking about? If you can imagine hundreds upon hundreds of them 
lined wow. up. Fucking hell. And on the other side, you've got equally large, equally armoured forces of Grimgore. So you've got all these armoured black orcs, you've got the orc biggins, goblins, the whole tribal capacity of greenskins arrayed against the forces of chaos. And then there's just simply a mushing battle where the forces of chaos have never come across an enemy as violent and as angry as they themselves are. And Grimgor's forces have never come across uh, humans who fight as well as they do. And over several days, they just push their line back and forward. There's constant bloodshed, constant screaming, the sound of armor being penetrated. Uh, and the, you know, penetrated. Penetrated. Noblar. Uh, and the use of. Uh, I will not <laughs> penetrate a noblar. That sounds awful. <laughs> noblar. Calvin Klein. <laughs> um, then there's the greenskin mages, greenskin shaman using their big and little wa magic. You've got the magic of the chaos gods, queer sorcerers, and it's just it's a blasted hellscape. It's it's Jesus what you would think Christ. of as the worst elements of all fantasy wars happening in one mountain pass. And eventually, the orcs are defeated. Wow! The meat grinder actually grinds up so many orcs that Grimgore has to retreat. And once again, he is absolutely enraged by this. And he then has to kind of work out who he is and what he's doing. And he needs to redeem himself because he perhaps feels he's no longer the chosen champion of Gork, you know, as Gork would see it. <laughs> Sounds like so, a, an orc with an existential crisis. <laughs> it, it really is. Well, it's <laughs> just skimming stones on a lake, looking distant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to wait. For my life to be over. <laughs> Just scanning Google for like local orc therapists. Like I need, I need to dive deep into this. Right? Just writing in his journal. <laughs> Cats in the cradle and a silver spoon. <laughs> oh, fuck. So he, he literally marches back down in, into the empire and spends then years literal years trying to reclaim his title as the greatest warlord that has ever lived in the whole of warhammer and again there's no siege tactics he's just seeking the greatest enemies so that he can fight so that he can win and one of the very first things he does is reduce the size of his army and he does that by slaughtering every single goblin in their army so wow. that there's only orcs and snotlings left. And the snotlings are the runtiest, the smallest of all greenskins, and they're used to fetch and carry. So you then have Grimgore, you have his core group of immortals that are still with him, and then you have what come to be known as the Ard Boys, which is hard boys without the H. Um, Clever! Is, those are all the orcs that stuck with him for the entire time. So these orcs have fought every race that exists within Warhammer, uh, wow. within the old world and the kind of surrounding countries. And so they know what they're doing, and they're able to just absolutely butcher everything. So he retreats back into Kislev, goes back down to Karakungor, kind of reestablishes himself, and then marches on Kislev. And as he marches on Kislev, he's bringing this enormous statue called the Effigy of Gork, which is this, effectively, if you can imagine Stonehenge, all packed together in the shape of an orc. 
uh, and <laughs> that's been dragged forward um, to kind of catch the attention of Gork himself so that Gork is able to see his chosen warlord is back at it. And, and, and Gork's just got his head in his hands going, oh my God. God, <laughs> this orc does not represent me. <laughs> You're trying too hard. <laughs> so he slaughters everything that comes to meet him. He feels he's back on his winning streak. He decimates the country of Kislev and heads back down into the empire. And so you can imagine tens of thousands of orcs pouring down out of their various lairs from the World's Edge Mountains, kind of washing down to join Grimgor's Wa. He himself carries on destroying everything he can. He ultimately comes to Middenheim, which is where Archeon, that was the name I was trying to remember, Archeon, <laughs> who is the ever-chosen, realizing that Archeon, the kind of ultimate chaos champion, intends to storm the city. So he decides that he and his boys need to get in the action too, so that he can destroy or kill or beat the leader of the Chaos forces that the stopped him in his tracks yeah. at yeah, the yeah, Battle yeah. of High Pass. So if he can beat the general, the overall general, the commander of the Chaos forces, then that kind of washes away the shame of being beaten by a second in command. When he gets there, he orders his guys to take as many human slaves as possible, and they begin constructing two enormous siege engines. These things just you know, vast, blot out the, the local environment when they're coming forward. And they're referred to as the gods or the gods. One is Gork, one is Mork. Nice, guys. And these are nice. effectively massive wooden metal titans, as you, as you would understand them from 40K. Enormous war machines, tens of stories high in the shape of their art gods. So they're pushed forward. And from the belly of the one that's called Gork is an enormous battering ram. And from the one that's Mork, it's just festooned with rock lobbers. Um, so, <laughs> rock <know>, lobbers. Rock We were at the beach. <laughs> Everybody wore matching towels. <laughs> so Grimgor took command of the effigy of Gork and it began to just pulse with the power of the Wa. And so the shaman were there chanting and, and knowing that Gork and Mork were now looking, he wanted to ride in on the shoulders of Gork. So associate himself once again as the hand of Gork. So they join the battle, and this now is one of the largest battles in Warhammer that has ever occurred. You have almost the entire force of the Empire in Kislev brought to bear against the forces of chaos in and around the countryside with this enormous mesa, you know, those large kind of pillar mountains with Middenheim resting on the top of it. You know, Middenheim's firing out cannonballs the size of buses from their great cannon. There's the, the skies are just kind of black with Pegasus Riders and dragons and Chaos Harpies and Dwarven War Machines, that kind of idea, where everyone is just trying to beat the forces of Chaos. So while Chaos is fighting the Empire, the orcs just barrel in from one side. Christ, this is epic. And ultimately, what has happened is that the champion of the Empire, a, a character called Volton, which we'll come to when we discuss the Empire in depth, 
challenges uh, Archeon to single combat. And while this battle is happening, Archeon is ultimately victorious and he's standing over Vaulton and he's ready to deal the final blow when a priest of Sigmar charges him and knocks him to the ground, allowing Vaulton to get away. However, the Chaos Champion is able to get to his feet, grabs the priest, who's called Luthar Huss, and just hurls him across the battlefield. And it was at that moment that Grimgor, as if from nowhere, headbutted the Chaos Champion so hard <laughs> that he flew him across the battlefield and followed up by chasing him and trying to get a good blow with his great axe, which ultimately splits the Chaos Rune Shield that the Chaos Champion Archeon is defending himself with. While that single combat is happening, all the immortals, the, the chosen of Grimgore, just fall about what's referred to as the Swords of Chaos, who are these elite Chaos Knights and Chaos Warriors of Archeon. As soon as that happens, the forces of Chaos focus on the Greenskins, and the Empire and the forces of humanity are actually able to consider themselves saved. And so they withdraw as quickly as they can to allow the Orcs and the Chaos guys to fight amongst themselves. The single combat between Archeon and Grimgore is a thing of beauty because with <laughs> the skill and benefit of the chaos blessings that the champion has, he's incredibly quick with this enormous demon sword. He's constantly flicking uh, his blade out towards any exposed area of Grimgore because just even one wound would more likely than not suck the soul right out of him and kill him. Um, wow. Grimgor, of course, is just constantly twatting him right in the head as much as he can with his axe. Uh, it, it literally just beating him left, right, and center. It carries on for a little while, and ultimately, Grimgor manages to get a pair of blows to Arkin's face, who falls back, trips over, and Grimgor's on him, just puts the blade of his axe right against his exposed throat and just stops and looks down at him. Kisses him. Kisses him. <laughs> Disrobes. Just fingers him. <laughs> you were amazing. <laughs> you were amazing. <laughs> Mark says hi. <laughs> is this hot? Are you are you feeling this? I feel like this is. Are you feeling this? <laughs> Am I misreading the situation, or are you? <laughs> yeah. Are we? Are we? Are you? Are we doing this? Is this happening? Are you free next Wednesday? <laughs> I know a great coffee place. <laughs> no, he just simply stares down at him, grumbles. Grimgore is the best, and walks away. See, nice. he has proven to himself and to his god that he is the greatest warrior. And because he defeated the ultimate champion of chaos in single combat, no one can beat him. Wow. So he and his force just quit the field and retired back to Karakungor, ultimately. Well, I, that surprises me. Just, you know, the pure primal bloodlust that you get from an orc. And he's satisfied with just... He's on his ass, and I could kill him, and everyone knows that. Nonetheless, that seems a little <laughs> yeah. merciful, a little yeah, like yeah, like how did he accept a submission over cutting off the guy's head? Well, he beat him. Oh, you know, he didn't need to kill him. He beat him. That's the oh, first okay. ounce of like honor and mercy that I've seen out of the Warhammer orcs, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, considering how, like the the guy is after nothing but a battle, a fight for good sport and nothing more. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool. Yeah. 
it's a very classy way to sign out. It is, yeah. Like maybe because he like wants this like everlasting war, he would view it as a waste to kill such a worthy opponent because that opponent could True. go away and train for a couple of years, then come yeah. back and give him an even better yeah. fight. Do you know what I mean? Maybe he respected him that much. He was like, yeah. you know what? You're all right. This time next year, let's come back. Round two. I'll be the d- yeah. defending champion. <laughs> so after his victory over the, the forces of chaos, Grimgor kind of sulked off. He went back to his camp in the World's Edge Mountains, and then he started to fall into, as we described earlier, an existential crisis. He said he's now beaten everything, and he would never, ever again find a foe worthy of his attention. He had become a belligerent amongst his own generals and killed everyone that looked at him, even a little bit unorky. And there was never a good challenge to, to be had. He destroyed opposing tribe and army that came to face him and his boys and ultimately went on a kind of blood safari, hunting and killing as many large chaos monsters, large monsters, fantasy monsters, as he could. But ultimately, they really only were a distraction from his boredom, even though he was able to feed all of his forces from all the remains and carcasses of these monsters that he came across. His boredom ultimately was relieved when news came to him that a magic item had once again re-emerged into the collective consciousness of the old world. And we have mentioned it before. It's a thing called the Nemesis Crown, or the Crown of Command, and it was the only instance of warp stone being used by dwarf runesmiths. Oh. Uh, and so if you place the crown on your head, effectively, you would become the world's greatest commander. Oh, yeah, I think I remember that. Mm. Yeah, he wanted that crown really only because... He didn't care if it gave him any additional powers or any influence or anything. He just knew that the greatest warriors in the world would want it. So if he had it, they would come and hunt him down and kill him uh, or attempt to kill him. So he once again would be able to face the biggest and the best that existed. And really that's where Grimgor's story in the kind of current timeline comes to an end ish but if we stick there pre-end times that's where his story ends he's barreling around the old world picking fights with the the good and the great of every single race he can he does play a huge part in the end times where he's encouraged by a savage orc shaman called Wurzag, the Great Green Prophet, who identifies him as what's called the true git, uh, <laughs> this hand of hand of Gork, this kind of great champion, while Skarsnik is the champion of Mork, or possibly Gork as well, and tries wow. to get them to unite in one great world-ending wah. And so he begins assembling a wah of the totality of greenskin races. So he goes through like Morglum Neck Snapper, who's this great orc greenskin warlord. He goes to the Hobgoblin Cans to try and get their wolf riders to come with him. And as the end times progresses, I think we discussed previously how the winds of magic became semi-sentient and then incarnated into an individual. He became the repository for the wind of gur of beasts so many monsters and so many greenskins and trolls ogres joined him that it became known as the beast war so 
it led to ultimately the ogres viewing him as the kind of living embodiment of the great maw of this kind of violent being that eats in quotes eats or destroys everything that's put in front of him wow so while going to conquer the ogres he breaks through into Cathay, destroys as much of it as he can he destroys the dragon fleets of nippon and then hearing that the forces of chaos are once again heading down to the empire to uh, try and end the world once and for all which they do he realizes that archeon might be there so he marches his entire army back to the old world to stand against Archon one more time to try and prove that he's still the best, he's still the strongest, and he can he's defeat still got it. the mighty champion of chaos that he already defeated. And they do indeed cross paths one final time where they're... Because it's kind of even at the minute, isn't it? He, he was beaten once, he beat him once, so now it's, it's best of three. Well, he had been beaten once by one of Archeon's underlings by his kind of lieutenant right Uh, but this time Archon had been empowered by all four gods evenly and in a much bigger fashion because this was it this was the final war for the planet all in put it all on red (laughs) go so they met in single combat in the midst of a world-ending battle and they charged each other six times. And on the sixth time, Arkin's demon sword split Grimgor's axe straight down the middle. And his luck, Grimgor's luck, had finally left him. And Archon spun around, flicked out with his sword, and took the Black Orc's head from his shoulder. And without sparing his lifeless body, a second glance just marched back into the war that ultimately ended the world. And that is the tale of Grimgor Ironhide, the greatest orc warlord that had ever existed. Fucking hell. And they lived happily ever after. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> wow, I that mean, was amazing. Core oh. blimey. Grimgor, yeah. he's my boy. So we we kind of touched on the, the end times there. That was That's further in the timeline than we've ever gone. But I'm guessing that that was necessary to kind of... It is a little bit, but it's just to bookend the story of Grimgor. And we will cover that in much more detail when we cover the end times. But I think it was good to give a little glance into how it all ended for Grimgor. I mean, we did that for the Skaven as well when we talked about, uh, you know, they dragged the Warpstone moon down and crashed into Lustria. That was about the same time. Yeah, you're you're painting this absolutely immense epic picture for the end times now. Like, okay, we've heard a bit about the Skaven. They're going to basically crash a moon into the planet. Okay, that's pretty pretty significant. You've got Grimgor, the most ruthless primal orc out there ever. Yeah, sounds like shit gets real at the end, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's five huge events, and that battle is the last one. Nice. That's what I have. That's what I, there's a few other minor heroes, minor greenskin heroes mentioned within the lore, but those are, you know, those are the main guys, the highlights. Yeah, these are the highlights. These are the greatest uh, characters, warlords, and heroes, uh, almost all of whom have miniatures that you can use on the table or used to. Anyway. Cool, nice. Mm-hmm. So, Kral, Grimgor mm-hmm. or Skarsnik? Grimgor all day long. Are you cunningly brutal or brutally cunning? I'm cunningly brutal. I don't like to think about things. You heard my recap in the intro. Just fucking let me at him, bro. 
pure. <laughs> that was pure emotion. Pure. <laughs> pure confusion. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Right, I'm wrapping up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. You can also reach us on our socials, and we've got loads of bonus material available on our Patreon at patreon.com, layingdownthelore. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, bye. Bye 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 bye. Sail away, my friends. Sail away. Ha <laughs> ha